are listening to a sermon podcast from St. Benedict's Table, a congregation of the Anglican Church of Canada located in Winnipeg, Manitoba. May only truth be spoken and only truth received. Amen. So we've got a couple of challenging texts this evening. It's August. I wish we had a nice parable You know, a gentle story, Jesus welcoming the children, healing a leper. Ah, This sounds more like the lead up to Advent and the first Sunday of Advent, which is all about crisis. But one of the things about the lectionary is that it keeps a preacher honest. Because you can't just pick what you'd like to pick. And the cycle sets up stuff, and every once in a while, it's like tonight, it's like, what's happening here? And here we are. It's a gift, really, to have a lectionary, but not always the most comfortable gift. The reading from the prophet Isaiah begins gently enough with the line, Let me sing for my beloved my love song concerning his vineyard. This is meant by Isaiah to be heard as the voice of God addressing the beloved people of Jerusalem and Judah. Those opening couple of verses are full of promise for the nation. And then comes this somewhat foreboding line. He expected it to yield grapes, but it yielded wild grapes. Remember, These opening 39 chapters of Isaiah are largely addressing the people of Judah and Jerusalem at a time when the northern kingdom of Israel has been conquered by Assyria and basically shattered. And the southern kingdom of Judah, centered in Jerusalem, is existing as a kind of a vassal state. The times are dire The prophet wants to call that southern kingdom back to first things. But before that deep call can be heard, the prophet needs to convince the people that their house is a mess. Oh, a good deal of attention is certainly being paid in Jerusalem to a a kind of rigid adherence to the portions of the Torah, the law, dealing with the observance of festivals, the fast days, the making of sacrifices. Yet the Torah's deeper call to make sure that the poor, the widow, the orphan, and the stranger in the land are not forgotten, that deeper call has been neglected, has been forgotten set aside as unimportant, inconvenient, or problematic. And so our section today concluded, For the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel. The people of Judah are his pleasant planting. The Lord expected justice, but saw bloodshed. Righteousness, but heard a cry. The cry heard when the Lord expected righteousness is a cry of help for those who've been abandoned in that society. The deep peace and equity intended for a Torah people has been abandoned in favor of narrowly religious practices. 
And so God is letting the natural course of politics take place. Assyria has already taken down the northern kingdom, and now the life of the southern kingdom is hanging by a thread. Get the nation back in order, Isaiah is saying, or we will continue to swirl into chaos. So that's the context for the first reading. Critical time, crisis time, decision time. In a very real sense, the gospel reading for today also arises from crisis time. And oddly, it has some real parallels to the crisis Isaiah was seeing in that same region hundreds of years earlier. In the case of the gospel context, Judea and Jerusalem are very much a vassal state, just as they had been in Isaiah's time, perhaps even more so. Jesus had begun his public ministry up in the region of Galilee, well north of Judea, but his face has now turned toward Jerusalem, and the long and winding path to that city is underway. He can see what it will mean for him to enter that city with his gospel message calling for a return to God. He knows how to interpret the present time, to borrow a line from his teaching, and he knows that this road will not be an easy one. And so as this section begins, Jesus addresses his followers. I came to bring fire to the earth. How I wish it were already kindled. I have a baptism with which to be baptized, and what stress I am under until it is completed. Do you think that I've come to bring peace to the earth? No, I tell you, but rather division. Fire and division. Is that true? I mean, what are, what are the gentleness with which he greeted children, welcomed the lepers, the statusless people, the outcasts? What of his compassion for the hungry crowds, the lost sheep, the blind and the lame? So Matt Skinner picks up on this and he comments, quote, The fire Jesus wants to kindle is a fire of change the fire of God's active presence in the world. No wonder he is so eager to strike the match. In many ways, that fire of change will be, to cite Paul's letter to the Corinthians, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. Opposition to what Jesus is all about will be mounted both by the temple leaders and by Rome itself. And even when somebody does catch his vision and choose to follow him and his way as tens of thousands of people would in the opening year or two of the church's young life, there was no guarantee that there wouldn't be opposition. Families will be divided, Jesus warns. 
Because while you might hear the power of this call, members of your own family, your own household, might not accept your decision to follow in that way. They will be divided. Father against son, son against father, mother against daughter, daughter against mother, mother-in-law against daughter-in-law, daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. That's not figurative language, you see. For it is precisely what happened when someone caught the vision, made the decision to follow the Jesus way, and then found themselves at odds from members of their own family. Jerusha Matson Neal comments, quote, Certainly Luke's readers, living in a time of persecution and oppression, would have recognized that there is cost to following Christ. The Prince of Peace places them at odds with the Pax Romana, the peace imposed by Rome by force, which divides them from family members who would prefer to keep the peace with the powers that be. Within both the context of the text and the context of the text's reception, the early readers, peace has always meant more than just getting along, end quote. So now we can hear why Jesus sounded so urgent and uncompromising in these texts, much as Isaiah had sounded in his own day. But you do know that this isn't simply about what happened way back then, which we wrestle with, understand, and then set aside with some relief for Monday morning, because we're not way back when. The claim is still being placed on those who hear this message. That claim is to actually follow. And while our day is clearly very different from the day of Isaiah or the day in which Jesus lived, it's not without its challenges. I mean, there's not the equivalent of Assyria or the Roman Empire marching its soldiers through our streets. But consider with me some observations made by Jerusha Matson Neal, who is an assistant professor of homiletics at Duke Divinity School. She begins by asking, how does the fire of Jesus' teaching and the piercing of his word reveal the hearts of one's congregation? Pause there for a moment and ask yourself, what's the heart of this particular congregation? What's going on? Are there conflicts that are doing damage? Is there maybe a level of exhaustion in the bones of the community thanks to the struggle, the long struggle that has been covid Has it become a closed system that finds it difficult to make room for new ideas and new people and fresh energy? Or is maybe too much being left on the shoulders of a very few? All of these are issues in different churches, and it's good to ask ourselves those questions about ourselves. 
To return to Jerusha Matson Neal's reflections, she asks, quote, has unity become synonym for complacency and avoidance? Or has division been co-opted for the same ends? Some congregations avoid the difficult work of justice by ignoring that divisions exist. Others avoid the same work of justice by cutting off from one another. Neither approach, ignoring or dividing, neither approach is consistent with the baptism that Jesus connects to his fiery witness. What is consistent with his fiery witness, I believe, is a willingness to press forward in honesty, daring, compassion, and truthfulness. To dare to speak as truthfully as one can, that's important, and then to listen as openly to the perspective of the other as you wanted them to listen to you. And to do that always in the light of the gospel, because the light of the gospel will always draw us forward in faith and in action. As the poet Mary Oliver writes in the conclusion of her poem, what I have learned so far, all summations have a beginning, all effect has a story. All kindness begins with the sown seed. Thought buds toward radiance. The gospel of light is the crossroads of indolence or action. Listen to that again. The gospel of light is the crossroads of indolence or action. Be ignited or be gone. And because Jesus wants none of us to be gone, we must now and again and ever be ignited in his light. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. This has been a sermon podcast from St. Benedict's Table. For information on our church and to access the full catalogue of our podcasts going all the way back to 2006, visit us online at stbenedictstable.ca. In addition, if you are interested in supporting our online work, you can find information on the website using the Donate button located on the top right-hand corner. Thanks for listening.